Mike McKnight here up in northern Utah. I uh, just got back from spending an amazing two weeks out in Phoenix, enjoying 60-degree weather, coming back to 14-degree weather and snow, and the smile on my face right now is kind of forced. I'm not too happy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hear you. Not that it's that cold where I am right now. I'm up in Mayer on the Black Canyon course, and um, it's chilly, but it's, oh, definitely okay. no, it's definitely nowhere near as cold as you as you are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah what 50 degrees that's like 40 something now 40 and sunny but um it's uh, not bad. yeah it's not, okay yeah I'd kill for that <laughs> <laughs> yeah i guess what we're gonna talk about today is um why you're down in phoenix over the new year and stuff so this should be pretty fun um we both ran last person standing at across the years down in phoenix yeah 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 you could call it fun <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about you, but I had a a rough go, but then also I'm really motivated to go back now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm not. I wouldn't say I'm motivated to go back, but I'm glad you are. <laughs> <laughs> well, I did quite a few less miles than you, and um, I feel defeated by it. So maybe that's why I'm motivated. I feel like I left something out there, and um, I learned a lot. So yes, yeah, so you ended up you ended up uh, winning. But how many miles did you do, and what was your time? Do you remember? Uh, yeah, according to my watch, I did 140 miles, but I think, um, according to their timing mat and stuff, it was 138 point something, something. And it was like exactly 33 hours that the race finished. Yeah, it's a long time to do a 1.4 mile loop every 20 minutes. That's for sure. Oh. <laughs> yeah, it's still monotonous. Holy cow. Just think of those six dayers that are out there. Dude, yeah, I was thinking about that one because I stayed another day or two and was doing some filming afterwards, like hobbling around trying to film. And I was just blown away at these people that were out <laughs> there just like day five and day six. I'm just like, how are you still out here on the same loop? And like, like it, it's fine at first. Like, it's, it's pretty for what it is. But at the same time, it's like, holy cow, like five days on the same loop over and over or six days. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure it's better than that, like six days at the dome or whatever, but it's still not the best in my mind <laughs> yeah it's definitely interesting that's for sure but uh mainly what i wanted to talk about though is like your nutritional like i guess nutritional strategy for the week going into the race and then also what you did during the race because i know you pivoted quite a bit um based off of like those various things that happened and like my plan was just kind of like all over the place because one i didn't i had no idea how to how to plan nutritionally for something like this because it's like it's not like you're running fast, but you also have to be very consistent the entire time. But at the same time, it's like you do get tired and you do get hungry. And it's like all these little factors come into play. Let's just kind of start with like Monday. I guess it was Monday or so or the week of the race anyways. Like, did you just kind of eat your normal diet and stuff while you're at home and on your way down to Phoenix? Yeah, like traditionally, I would be doing like a keto reset uh, for those final days. But um, and by keto reset, I mean like keeping my carbs around 30 grams a day, but, uh, I've been just kind of lower naturally lately. Um, just because like, I always feel like with my diet, I'm just, and I'm sure you can relate. I'm just tweaking and experimenting and trying to find what's like really optimal for me. And so lately I've just kind of gravitated back towards kind of lower carb, but not, strict keto but anyway like i i feel that the keto reset at least for me is no longer necessary just because i've been doing this for seven years and i've been fairly low for those seven years so i feel like my body's just used to it now and that the keto reset is not really that important anymore so i really just kept everything the same and for me that's about 100 to 150 grams of carbohydrates a day mostly from fruits uh, raw milk and then potatoes twice a week, um, and then just a lot of meat. So that's essentially what I did this time. Usually, though, what I'll do is I'll do a little bit more processed food the week of, like siete potato chips is one of my favorite things to to have just to get my stomach used to eating processed foods. But where my plan was to fuel 100% on raw milk for this, I was like, I don't need to do that because I'm not going to have processed foods. Um, so that's the only difference I. I, um, that's the only different thing, a part of my diet the week before the race or the week of the race. <laughs> we'll definitely talk about the raw milk fueling and how long that lasted for uh, during the event. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, I like guess well, we had dinner the night before and we both had steaks and I had some some venison as well. Like venison burgers anyways. Um what did you have besides the steak? I don't remember. Um yeah, I had the same as you. It was uh, it was a sirloin steak. I also had some chicken uh chicken thighs and then uh, just a little bit of red potato. Yeah. Is that pretty typical for your pre-race meals now? Do you do that or do something different? Usually I just do like I usually two days before the race I'll do like a steak, a fattier cut of meat. And then the day before the race, I usually do leaner um, protein like chicken just to like make it easier on my digestive system. But this is the first race I've ever done that started at noon versus like anywhere from 5 to 7 a.m. And so in my head, I was just like, you know, I have those extra six to seven hours to digest my food. So let's have a steak tonight. So it's typically not something that I'm doing, but I, it made sense in my head to be OK with it this time. Oh, it's funny you say that though, because apparently it's true that if you if you don't eat pizza and bread, you don't poop. So I don't know how you have digestive issues if you eat fat. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Clearly, I'm joking here. I don't know what to. Say. Yeah, I know. I don't know what to say. I don't want to get a. I don't want to get a bunch of hate comments on this. <laughs> yeah, I'm totally joking about that. But no, that makes a lot of sense. Like the noon start was kind of weird because I'm used to starting at like six, seven a.m where I try to like wrap up my dinner earlier the night before, just simply so like you have a it's kind of like a clearer gut to start the race at. But when it's noon, it's like, mm -hmm. what do you do? It's like, and I ate a full on breakfast that morning, like I had eggs and, and some other things. But like, this is weird to start at noon versus the traditional 6am or something. Yeah, and it's kind of nice. Like, I've had like a 9am start before. And I'm like, Oh, I got to sleep in a little but I didn't sleep in I still woke up at like 5am or whatever. <laughs> but where this is like, Cause I, cause 9 a.m. still somewhere early and I still like, I have like a lot, I think it's an actual disorder. I don't know if it's a disorder, but it's an actual thing where you have like alarm clock anxiety. Like when you set your alarm clock and then you have a hard time sleeping throughout the night because you're anticipating your alarm going off. Yeah. <laughs> and so I think I have that. And so like, even for like a 9 a.m. start, like I have my alarm set and then I, I have issues sleeping that night, but <clears throat> With the noon start, I didn't set my alarm because I know I'm not going to sleep till 11 or noon or whatever. That's just not who I am. Um, so I didn't set my alarm that night. So I slept really, really good. So I, I kind of liked the noon start, honestly. And I, I see the pros and cons to it because I didn't set an alarm either because I'm like, there's no way I'm going to sleep in until like 11. Like I've never done that in my <laughs> life. And I woke up at like 7 yeah. or something before the sun came up. I was like, well, I'm ready to go. But then I still had five hours to, to wait till the race started. Yeah. So yeah, there are pros and cons, but I, I did enjoy sleeping in before that. That was kind of nice. Yeah. It's definitely helpful, especially when it's a race that like, you don't know how long it's going to go for because it could go 12 hours or go 30 <laughs> hours like what you guys did, but it's interesting. So um, let's yeah. talk about breakfast that morning. What'd you do for breakfast then? Like your normal breakfast? Yeah. Well, I, no, because I normally don't eat breakfast. <laughs> so, um, but in a lot of cases, my dinner at night is breakfast. So I did have what I usually have for dinner, which is venison and and eggs. Um, so yeah, just I, I think it was like five eggs and then a pound of venison was what I had for breakfast. That's a way bigger breakfast than what I had. I think I had like five or six eggs and I think like some sardines or something. <laughs> oh, you and your sardines. <laughs> Dude, they're good. They they for me personally, they sit really well. And they have a lot of magnesium and stuff in them, so whatever. Like, it's fine. Although, that venison sausage you're talking about is pretty dang good, too, when you can find it. Holy crap, I'm so addicted to that stuff. I always, like, I try not to say I'm addicted to certain things, but I am addicted to that stuff. <laughs> I mean, like, it, it tastes good and it's good for you, so I don't see why that's a problem. It's not like you're being addicted to, like, Snickers or something in the morning. Yeah, but one would... Certain people would argue that it's not good to be addicted to meat like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're all haters. They can do whatever they want. Um, so uh, before the race, I remember if it was like the week of or the week before or something, you were texting me saying you're going to just fuel on raw milk. So like, what was the catalyst for that? Like, why did you even have that idea besides, I don't know, just the experimenting and the fun? So, I mean, I don't like across the years, dude, um, it's not my... It doesn't play to my strengths, but I've done that. I've done variations of races three times now across the years. Like 
I've almost raced it across the years more than I have at any other race, which is kind of wild because that's just not my style. <laughs> um, but because it's not my style, like, and I don't really necessarily care to improve at it. Like, I, I think it's just a good opportunity to experiment. Like, you know, the last time I was out there is when I did my zero calorie 24 hour. Um, so I just, I like the environment. It's a controlled environment. You see people the whole time you're there, you're no more than a mile. Well, this time it's 1.4 miles, but you're you're never more than a mile away from your crew. So I just think it's a good place to experiment. And I'm not going to go there and try and set any kind of records just because, again, it's not my strength. And so uh, do you do you follow the raw milk experiment guy? Or not, not raw milk, uh, the raw meat experiment guy? I don't. I don't know who that is. So you should follow him. He's fascinating. But he's this guy on Instagram that he... I don't know if it's a hundred percent of his diet, but it's a lot of his diet and he just eats raw meat. Like he'll, uh, some of it dude grosses me out. <laughs> like as cool as I think it is, like uh, he's full on, like uh, he has videos of him eating raw chicken on his Instagram. Yeah. And he'll, he'll buy like ground beef and open it and just eat it like a snow cone and eat the, the ground beef raw. Like he even popped open an ostrich egg once and, poured it was like 20 yolk popped out of that thing and he poured it into like a huge like like fruit juice pitcher kind of a thing and it, he just drank all 20 yolks at once like it's really cool like dr phil even had him on once like uh but anyway i follow this guy and he he did an experiment where he had nothing but raw milk for two full weeks um no food i don't even think he did water um, don't quote me on that, but raw milk for two weeks. And so when he did that, I was like, oh, that's kind of an interesting concept. And then that just sparked the idea in my head. I wonder if I can fuel a race 100% on raw milk. And um, then I decided, hey, across the years is coming up. Uh, <laughs> this is kind of my place where I go experiment. And so I signed up for the last person standing and that's so basically that guy kind of sparked the the idea in my head i wanted to see if it was possible to fuel a race off of raw milk <laughs> all right so let's just go to to noon on december 31st so that's when the race started so like i think everyone was just like pretty stoked and it's funny because like you only have to run like 14 30 pace or something to do a lap in even 20 minutes like it's super slow at the beginning anyways like it feels so easy and everyone's just kind of screwing around and it's like it's, it's pretty fun honestly but um like your plan from the start, from the get-go, was just to do raw milk the entire time, right? Yep. And then how how did that go? Let's break that down like by the hour, maybe. So, Well, the first thing I noticed, um, because so I was doing raw milk and water and electrolytes. Um, so I guess I should take a back step. <clears throat> um, to prepare for this, I tried to go 40 – or no, I tried to go as long as I could just – fueling off of raw milk like that raw meat experiment guy i only made it 36 hours um because i was like i reached out to him actually and we talked and um, i was like so are you like working out running and he was like no i don't do any of that stuff man like and so i i, I did notice that like you know by about 36 hours in i was feeling kind of tired when i was experimenting with it uh, but when I was doing that, I was doing nothing but milk, and I didn't notice I was still like getting slightly dehydrated. And so just from seeing that, I was like, because I originally I was going to try to do the whole thing on just raw milk, no water, no electrolytes. But when I saw that I was getting dehydrated from my little experiment beforehand, I decided I better do water and electrolytes too. So I did have water, I did have Redmond Relight, <clears throat> and then I had uh, raw milk. And so the first thing I noticed is like I had to piss like a racehorse at this thing. <laughs> like I because I was drinking a bottle of water, I was taking my electrolytes, I'd come sit down and chug some raw milk. And so like it was every other lap, like I had to pee so bad. And like it kind of became an inconvenience really fast because on paper it's like you have three to six minutes at this last person standing to do stuff. And it seems like a lot, but I mean, you can relate, Derek, you sit down and before you know it, it's time to get going again. So like every other lap when I was having to pee, that was eating away to my, my time to do other stuff. So that was kind of annoying pretty fast, actually. 
<laughs> yeah, it's super interesting how like those little things can add up really fast. And like I obviously wasn't doing like just straight raw milk, but like it's like, oh like when you get back to the start, you have to walk over to the bathrooms, which is thirty seconds. So by the time you get back, you yep. waste maybe two minutes or something, and then you gotta go again. So that takes away from time yeah. you could be doing something like just one getting off your feet or even just closing your eyes or something. Like there's so many things that like I think that time management is critical for a last person standing event. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I just felt like that was the first negative to this experiment. <laughs> <laughs> so when did you um when did you actually stop just doing the pure raw milk and water and electrolytes? So yeah, it was like it was between five and six hours. I ended up doing like a gallon and a half of milk in that five to six hours. Um but yeah, I, I called it like and it wasn't like it wasn't like I was like, oh, wow, I have no energy. Wow, I feel like crap. Like, I need some real food in me. It was simply boredom. Like, you're running a 1.4-mile course over and over and over again every 20 minutes. And, like, that's kind of boring. Like, I'm sorry if Jamil is listening to this, but that's not – it's so mind-numbing. <laughs> And so, like, I was coming in and I was looking at you. I was looking at Eric. Like, I was looking at all the other runners. And it's like, like, once I looked over at Eric and he had this, like, full-on, like, omelet, like, professional-looking <laughs> omelet type thing that he was eating. I looked over at you and you were doing, like, your Boulder Canyon uh, potato chips. I was like, and I just, like, had my raw milk. <laughs> so I was like, <laughs> it was just like a boredom thing. Like, there was no variety in the course. And for me, like for those five to six hours, there was no variety in my nutrition. And so I just got bored. Like I needed something different to look forward to when I would come into that tent. So, yeah, I again, it was nothing to do with energy or feeling off. I was just so freaking bored with everything that was going on. Yeah, you definitely went about it in the most mundane way possible, like a 1.4 mile loop <laughs> as many times as possible. With a pretty like bland beverage by all means. Like it's good, don't get me wrong, but like if that's all you're drinking, it's like the same thing over and over and over and over. Yeah, it was mind numbing. So I mean and it worked. Like I, I called my wife. Or no, I didn't call I don't know, I can't remember if my wife was there or not, or she maybe she was taking the kids to get lunch, but she wasn't there for some reason and I texted her and I was like, Yeah, I need you to go to Sprouts, Natural Grocers, somewhere, and I just need you to pick me up a bunch of different food because I'm I'm bored. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny that like I don't know, like, I guess running is just a funny way, but it's interesting that um I guess it's cool that there was a Sprouts nearby too, which I guess people don't know what Sprouts is. It's like Whole Foods essentially, but they just have basically everything. Yeah. They have raw milk, and they also just have like normal like whatever. <laughs> So what did you end up getting then at that point? Like, what were you really craving after five to six hours of raw milk? Salty foods. I mean, there's there's salt in, there's sodium in raw milk, but I was still craving some salty foods. So I had my wife go pick me up like a cauliflower crust pizza from Mod Pizza. Um, I had her pick me up a couple different uh, potato chip options. Like she got me some Siete potato chips and then... Uh, she, I guess she remember, I don't even remember you mentioning this. I don't know if you were just talking to her or I wasn't listening to the conversation, but, um, Sarah, for some reason, remembers you raving about those Boulder Canyon, like cheddar and sour cream chips or whatever. And yeah. so she picked me up some of those and <laughs> those are amazing. <laughs> those are great. <laughs> yeah. Those are super good. Like they're just like just enough flavor and they're salty and they're fried in like avocado oil or olive oil or something and they're just delicious they're so it's good. avocado okay yeah those are super good like uh, those are one of my go-tos now for for this sort of things because they're just tasty like it's just nice to like mix it up like she so don't get palate fatigue i guess yeah yeah it's yeah it's good so she got me a few potato chips um siete they make those like uh cinnamon churro chips um i'm sure you've had those before yeah i had a bag of those they're freaking delicious <laughs> they're super good <laughs> oh so good. <laughs> um, she got me a couple of like, I don't know how to say it, Alter Echo, Alter Eco, like dark chocolate bars. Um, what else? I did have a reserve of spring energy that I dipped into. Um, she got me some of those like Virgil's, uh, like they went all out. I'm sure it was like a $200 grocery trip. Um, <coughs> but she got me some of those like Virgil's zero sugar root beers. Like, yeah, I definitely 
had a variety of stuff at that point, which made it a lot, a lot better when I came into that tent after each lap. <laughs> yeah. How did that affect your mindset going from like a bland drink beverage the entire time to suddenly having options and variety? Oh yeah. I mean, it just gave me something to look forward to. Like, I mean, before that, like, I mean, at first, like for the first hour or two, I was like, this is fun. Like I'm going to fuel this whole thing off raw milk and <laughs> put a good word out there for raw milk kind of a thing. But um, yeah, I got bored. And then I, once I had that variety, I was just um, basically it gave me something to look forward to when I came back. And I mean, and like too, like, like, you know, there's a lot of calories and fat and protein, like in raw milk, but you're still just drinking liquid. So it, you still do get hungry. And that's one thing I noticed when I like tried going a couple of days, just drinking raw milk a couple of months before the race that even though I was getting like over 3000 calories in a 24 hour window of raw milk, like I was still really, really hungry just because like, you know, I guess liquid calories don't fill you up like actual food calories. So it definitely started like satiating me more too, which made it a little bit easier. Isn't that interesting how like you could have like say 16 ounces of raw milk with a couple scoops of whey protein. You could drink that and you're like, Oh, I'm still hungry. Even though it has like a lot of protein. <laughs> <Yeah>. in it. <laughs> I guess that's why they say don't drink your calories because it's easy to just overdo it and, you know, gain a bunch of weight. <laughs> oh yeah, definitely. Like if you just like did it with like soda or something, if you had like, like a two liter thing of soda, you could drink that. And like, how many calories is that? Like it's an insane amount of calories and carbs. But as, as soon as it like quickly yeah. goes through your stomach, you're just like starving. You're just ravenous. You don't really get full. And I guess I thought because of the fat and protein content, that wouldn't happen, but it still did. Yeah, well, I guess you figured it out. <laughs> Yeah, I love raw milk, but I'm not going to fuel a race 100% on it. <laughs> oh, definitely. Like, it's interesting, though, because, like, at a certain point, I remember when it was, it was that evening, though, so we've been going at least six, seven hours. Like, I started craving raw milk, like, not, like, a lot, but just, like, some sips of it, because I think it kind of cleanses my palate, and I just like it, and then I could have something else, too. So it's, like, because I drink, um drink mix almost the entire time, but then, like, coming back into the, the little, what do you call it, like, the crew area or the tent that we had? Um, like, oh, corral. Yeah, sip the corral, <laughs> the, the death corral. <laughs> you know, like a little sip of raw milk, and it was good to me. But like, there's no way I could just drink that like the entire time. Like, it was wild. So, how did you feel though after you started eating like the real food? Because honestly, like when I saw you with the pizza, I was like, oh, that looks super good. But I mean, I wouldn't say I noticed anything different physically. It was just all mentally. Like, I, like I said, I just had something to look forward to. Like, I really do believe, like, if this was. I mean, going back to like Coca Dona 250, like I did fuel almost like a hundred percent of that race, at least after the 50k mark with raw milk, and so, and I was fine. Like I was able to like make up a lot of time. I made that comeback. So, like I do believe it's possible to do a race a hundred percent off raw milk, at least physically. Just like that environment, though, the monotony of the course, like it's just it's just one more monotonous thing to add to the task, but. Yeah, like I felt great physically. So again, nothing changed physically. It was just mentally like I had something to look forward to at that point, which, you know, helps out a lot for a race like this because it's it's pretty freaking mental to do it. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's for sure. I guess speaking of Cocodona too, like I think there's the misconception that you just drank raw milk the entire time. That's all you did for 250 miles. But you had other things mixed in there too, right? Yeah, yeah. Just um, I would say it was like 75% raw milk and then. 25% other stuff because yeah. I'm not carrying like a gallon of raw milk with me between aid stations, you know? <laughs> oh yeah. Like that seems like a weird thing to put into a handheld bottle or a bladder, you know, having like warm curdly milk. <laughs> oh gosh. Yeah. Coca donut that would heat up so fast. <laughs> well, but even though I do have a nice picture of, of Sarah, like Sarah took a picture of me pouring the raw milk into a bottle um, it, across the years. So it did look kind of funny. <laughs> <laughs> my main thing if i were to do that i'd just be thinking about how like, like if you had like raw milk you let it sit into a bottle or something like a handheld bottle and forgot about it for a week just like how nasty that bottle is. oh it, it gets gross with any sort of drink mix or electrolyte mix but with milk that would be like throw the bottle away type thing i feel like yeah like when we came home from arizona like we took all of our milk with us to arizona and we were gone for a full two weeks but um my daughter oakley her sippy cup in the fridge still had some milk in it. And so like, 
yeah, I opened that thing and I took a sniff and like, holy cow, it was so rancid. (laughs) (laughs) I don't, it was years ago, years ago, I was in Denver and like, I was flying out and I went on a run in Boulder and then I had like a, like a Thule topper on top of my car at the time. And I just like had recovery drinks. Uh I was like rushing to the airport and I just threw it up in there and forgot about it. And I came back a week later and it was like summertime, dude. And I got to my car and I was just like, oh, okay, I forgot about this. And I thought it was fine. I opened the top off and it like exploded everywhere. And it was the most foul oh, thing I've ever smelled in my life. Like it was disgusting. It was so gross. <laughs> it reminds me of, a, and I think you referenced this across the years, but that scene in Anchorman with Will Ferrell where he's like drinking out of the milk cart and he's like, milk was a bad choice. <laughs> I always think about that when it's warm out. Even like after like a, a hot weather run and I get back, my I want raw milk. I always think of that scene. Even though the milk tastes delicious, I'm always like, oh, milk was a bad choice. <laughs> it was a bad choice. Just going down the beard and the shirt. <laughs> oh, it's so gross. It's funny though, because like everyone's like, oh, like how do you drink raw milk? Like whatever, like before or after a run. It's like, and honestly, it sits really well in your stomach. And I think a lot of people that have, that don't, think it would be good i've just never experienced it because it doesn't taste like a normal milk you get like from the grocery store even like the high quality ones at a normal grocery store it tastes drastically different like and it feels different and it sits different and digests like really well yeah people don't realize that like i like you see all those like haters trolls whatever you want to call them on instagram that's like raw milk's so dangerous to drink like you, you'd be an idiot to drink it it's bad for your stomach blah 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 but like I grew up on a dairy farm and I drank raw milk every day for the first 21 years of my life. And then my family sold, like I was drinking five gallons a week by myself in college. Like I would come home from a run, I'd chug half a gallon to three quarters of a gallon. And I'm not even joking. Like I would chug that much in like a 10 minute window, no issues. My family sold the cows and I was just like, well, shoot, I love milk. So I started buying pasteurized milk. And first of all, the taste was awful. And then second of all, I started having digestive issues. Like I was like, what the heck? I'm I'm, I'm lactose intolerant all of a sudden. What's going on? And then just um, a year and a half ago, I learned that you could buy raw milk here uh, in Cache Valley where I live. And so I went and bought some and drank it and then I'm totally fine again. So there's like... And everybody I talk to on Instagram, it's like, I'm lactose intolerant. Can I handle raw milk? I'm like, hey, like 100% of the people I talk to handles it well just because um, there's a lot more like beneficial gut bacteria in raw milk that's not destroyed due to the pasteurization process. And those people try it and then they message me back and say, oh, yeah, I can handle it. This is awesome. So I've yet to find somebody in my personal connections who can't drink raw milk that has issues with pasteurized milk yeah definitely like i think there are some people who maybe do have like legit lactose intolerance but like my brother for example is the same way like he lives in idaho now with his family and he was like i can never eat milk or drink milk and cheese just makes me so sick and i was like just go try some raw milk and so we found some farmer up there that has it and he's like oh it tastes great and i don't have any issues drinking it which is crazy this is I think we're kind of like so used to like these garbage varieties of milk that we just assume that all milk is the same when in reality it's not. Well, and from what I understand too, I believe it was from a Dr. Berg. Do you follow Dr. Berg? Yeah. Yeah. So I was watching like usually, usually when I eat lunch, I either watch Thomas DeLauer videos or Dr. Berg videos. (laughs) And I'm like 90% sure it was Dr. Berg that said that uh, the enzyme lactase is in raw milk. But when it gets heated up through pasteurization, it's destroyed, which is why people can handle it. So like basically like lactate, that like milk, uh, have you heard of that milk brand lactate? Yeah, because it's either lactose free or has the enzyme added to it, right? Yeah. So basically what they did was they destroyed the enzyme when they pasteurized it, and then they re-added the enzyme after pasteurizing it. And so raw milk just has that in its pure form, um, which is from what I understand, why people can drink it. No, it makes a lot of sense, though. It's like, if you're going to rip something apart and make it not how it was designed to be eaten or drank, like, there's probably going to be issues with it. It just makes sense. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure it's similar. Well, maybe it's not similar, but like a similar concept to, you know, smoke points with different oils and stuff and how certain oils have lower smoke, smoke points. 
Yeah, I think it's probably kind of similar to like like how our weed is produced here in the U.S. and like how it's processed versus like in Europe and like where some people be like, oh, I'm I have celiac or gluten intolerance, and they go to Europe and they can eat it just fine. At least they say so, anyways. Like I've still experienced like issues both ways, but like some people have told me that like when they go to Europe, they can they can handle the the wheat gluten better. That's very anecdotal, but I don't, I don't know how much I believe that. But I think it's kind of something similar that like the processing could play a major role in that. Yeah, and funny side note, um, when you first started talking, I thought you said how our weed is processed here in the United States. <laughs> and I was like, oh, yeah, okay, Let, let's hear how our weed is processed. But then you started talking about celiac and stuff. I was like, oh, he said wheat. <laughs> yeah, little known fact, if you have celiac disease, weed is very uh, detrimental to your health. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh man so then once you started eating like I, so i dropped out at like mile 80 ish or so and like i just like i don't know it's probably because i've been doing a lot of like cross training and i haven't been doing a lot of running throughout december so my body was just like worked at that point which was it was a long day for me 80 miles was really far but like you guys kept going i think it was like six or seven you guys left at that point so like how did you feel going into the night just kind of like a normal day is even what you normally eat yeah yeah i mean I did notice I got more tired. Um, like usually the first night of a like a 200, for example, like I I have no issues staying awake. But again, I don't know if it's because I was in like a warm tent because they had like the heaters and stuff going in there. Um, like I did notice that I was like getting really tired every lap during the night, and I was starting to like kind of sleep run where I'd like fall asleep and like start zigzagging um, <laughs> along the course, but so there there was one period of time where I like really hauled and got back with um it was just shy of eight minutes to spare before the next loop started. And so I I laid down, um I put my feet up like on a table. I think he might have been there when I did this, or maybe not, but like I put my feet up like straight up in the air where it was kind of like just pressing against the table and I was laying on the ground so that way I got some blood flow going through my legs and I I think I fell asleep for like a minute maybe, which I mean, as funny as it sounds, that minute really, really helped me. <laughs> you know, it's funny is like, cause I was kind of doing the same thing. Well, not the put your feet up type thing, but like just when I was out there, I'm like, okay, here's a straight paved section with nobody in front of me. And like, I wasn't that tired because like I usually can handle a night of no sleep fairly well, but I was like, okay, I don't know how long this is going to go for. So I'd close my eyes for like 20 seconds. I'd count it in my head as I was moving. And like, the only reason I, I'd never done that before when I was doing anything, but I was talking to um, when Jeff Peltier did Moab this year or last year, um, he was doing that. Like he would close his eyes like just for little bits while he was running, like on a flat section that was non-technical. And then also he was saying that like on certain climbs, like he would put his poles down and just put his head down for like 30 seconds and just closing his eyes was almost like a reset enough to like just feel fresh again. Well, as fresh as you can in a 200-ish mile race. Yeah. It's interesting how that works, though. I've never heard of somebody deliberately closing their eyes while they're running. That's interesting. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting. I think it works, too. But like, but going back to like the very beginning, we were talking about there's, how there's like no time. Like when you're back at the tent, like you get done and say you have five minutes. Like that five minutes just flies by. But like I would try to close my eyes then, too, because I'm like, well, here's a minute where I'm sitting here. Nothing's really going on. Like I have a crew person there. Like friend Emily was helping me. And I was like, okay, I'm just going to close my eyes while she fills my bottle or does something i feel like that helped a little bit and the the kind of annoying thing too is how like there was like this little automated like voice that would go like two minutes until the next lap and then one minute until the next lap and then occasionally someone was blowing a whistle so it's like you know if you come in with five minutes to go you really only have three minutes to try to sleep because that two minute alarm goes off and then you know, at least in my case, I wasn't able to fall back asleep after that two minute alarm. <laughs> oh man, it would get me super anxious every time. Like I would hear the two minute bell and I was like, oh crap, I have one minute. And it's like, oh no, I still have two. But at that point, you're just kind of juiced up and ready to go again. <laughs> it's interesting. I get why they have that alarm, but I wish they didn't have it so you could like actually sleep a little bit more. But then granted, <laughs> you might be so worried that you're going to sleep past the stars. So who knows? If, yeah, <laughs> I guess. Oh man, I was nervous every time I sat down because I'm like, what if I just like do something or someone starts talking to me or something happens? Like at one point, like just some random people were there in the tent and had to like get around them. And I still had plenty of time, but it like stressed me out for a minute. So I'm like, okay, can you move? Can you move? Can you move? And they were just standing there like by the heater. And I'm like, oh, gosh, <laughs> like I have to get to the start line in 20 seconds. And 
even though it's only like 10 steps away, it still stresses you out or at least stresses me out quite a bit. Yeah. And like, there was a guy there that was just like really at least talking my ear off. Um, and like, yeah, like a few times, like I had to just be rude and like, Oh, okay. Sorry. Gotta go. And then just like walk away mid conversation because he, he wasn't getting the hints that I was in a race and that I had to pee up there. Like, yeah, it's definitely like interesting. <laughs> Yeah, there was one point where there's this older guy who he's done the race a bunch of times, and I don't think he understood understood the last person standing format. And so, like, I came in and I had like three minutes, uh-huh. and, and he was like starting to talk to me. And he's like, "Where are you from? What are you doing?" And blah blah blah. And I started talking to him, and Emily was just like, "Nope, shut up, get your stuff done, go 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 go." And like, <laughs> if she hadn't done that, I probably would have just talked to him until like the bell went off or the the, the thing started because like he's so easy to get distracted, and like one or two minutes adds up, and you're just done. This is weird. Yeah, there was a few times you were cutting it close where I had to be like, Derek, we got 10 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think like I was thinking of all the things I could have done differently, like besides like just running the week or the month before instead of like riding my bike so much. But I think one of the things that I could have done is just focus better. Like while you're out there, it is really fun at, at the beginning and stuff because it's like run nine minute pace like all day, it feels like. But then like little things start adding up. And like I think that's something I want to do differently this coming year is like, just from the very beginning, just be like serious about it. And like, yeah, it's still fun and everything. But like, once you get into the tent, it's it's game mode the whole time. Like no screwing around, no talking to random people. It's just like, get in, get your stuff and go and focus. Because I think like, at least for me, I think being very like talkative and then like burning some energy doing that adds up. And like, that could have maybe cost me a few laughs or something. Yeah, that's the interesting thing about the, the last person standing. It's like, <clears throat> like there's a, it's just hard to find the balance of taking care of yourself, but then also not appearing to be kind of a dick. Like, like when, when it was just me and like, um, so it was me, Eric, Maya. Oh, I forgot the other guy's name. Um, Eric's friend, the one that was like leading us for the majority of it. Um, spacing starts with a T I think. Oh, and Wesley, Wesley was one of them, right? Yeah. The long haired guy. Yeah. So anyway, like when it was me and like four others, um, I kind of felt like I was appearing to be kind of like a, just like a, a dick to them because they were running together and I was just out going and doing my own thing, going at my own pace. I was coming in five to six minutes to go. They were coming in two to three minutes to go. And as much as I didn't want to appear like that to them, it's like, and I, I even noticed this with you, Derek, like I'm not saying that you're slower than me. Like maybe, maybe we were like, I don't know what was going on, but I noticed like the occasional lap or two that you and I would run together. That lap would hurt me more because I was changing my gate to, and even if like it was the same pace, like you can still change your gate to like run with somebody. And so like, I didn't want to change my gate and go at their pace because it hurts more. So it's like, it's just, it's really interesting where you're like trying to be friendly and, trying to also take care of yourself uh, it's it's just kind of a weird balance yeah it is interesting because it's like like maya for example like she's super friendly super nice and like very supportive of everybody and i'm like oh i just want to like talk to her like she's from vegas like i grew up near there I and mean, all these things in common but i'm like oh man she's like really talkative in a good way like not in a bad way at all and i'm like i just want to talk to her about like her running in vegas and all these things and i'm also like our running paces and strides are different we're in different places. Everybody's at a different place in that race, even though you are just doing the same lap every time. And so it's this weird, like that weird mental game, like, and then the physical game too. Cause like, I noticed that too. I think like, like when I was running slower, it was way more painful than just running like a nine thirty the whole time. And I think it's going to change for next year is like, like doing what you did, like just running my race versus like, Oh, I'm going to run with Wesley this lap or I'm going to run with Maya this lap. Like they're great people. But it is your own race, even though it feels like a team effort. And then those things can add up because maybe like their strategy is running their pace and that kind of wears you down or vice versa or something. It's pretty interesting. Yeah. (laughs) And it's definitely a mental game too. Like I, that's where I failed and maybe it played to my advantage because like everybody out there, like I'd be like, oh, how are you doing? They're like, oh, I'm doing great. Ready to go through the night. And then they'd ask me how I'm doing, and I'm like, oh, man, my hamstring hurts, my quad hurts. Like, I almost quit the last lap. Like, I'm listing all my issues, and it's like, to me, I'm looking at them. I'm like, holy cow, they're feeling amazing. And then they're looking at me probably thinking, like, this guy's going to drop any minute. 
which again might have played to my advantage because I wasn't dropping any minute. <laughs> but it's just, and that, that's the other interesting thing I noticed too. Like, because everybody's like playing off their injuries or just like tightness or whatever struggles they're going through, like, that when they when they're gonna fall off, they fall off fast. Like they're coming in consistently three to four minutes every single lap, and then all of a sudden there's like one lap where they come in thirty seconds to a minute before the cutoff, and then that next lap or the lap after that is when they don't get back in time. So it's like that is one thing I notice about this: when somebody starts falling off their pace, that they they end up dropping pretty quickly after that. Oh, definitely. Like I think that like that's what happened to me. Like. I was coming in with like the time I wanted, like three to four minutes or so every lap. And then suddenly like the second to last lap, I'm like, I just can't go anymore. And I, I got in and it's mm. like, okay. And I think it was um, Aaron Barber who was there. He's one of the RDs at Air Viper. And he's like, go, you can still go. And I'm like, all right. So I literally just like walked across the line, had to go again. And like that lap, I like put in as much effort as I could. And I was still two minutes over. And like, it was wild. Like how much that lap hurt. Just like going to the absolute well, just to move and, but then, like, looking at, like, remember Eric, for example, like, Eric obviously is very, like, he's a very good through hiker and um, he knows what he's doing. But, like, he had knee problems the entire time. And, like, I didn't think once about it until he's, like, dropped out. And he was like, oh, yeah, I had knee pain yeah. the whole time. I'm like, how, like, how did you kind of hide that? You know, he was icing, but, like, it wasn't, like, a thing he talked about ever. No, yeah, he didn't talk about it. Like, I remember, like, yeah, it was, like, three hours into it, I looked at him and he was icing his knee. And I was like... Yeah, all right, buddy. And he just goes, because he dropped out last year for knee issues across the years. And so he was like, yeah, I'm just like doing some preventative stuff just to make sure I don't drop out because of knee issues. And then like two or three laps, or maybe it was even after he dropped, he like walked up to me and he was like, you didn't fall for that, did you? I was like, fall for what? He's like, when you asked me about the ice and I said it was just preventative, he was like, my knee was killing me at that time. Did you believe me? And I was like, oh, yeah, dude, I had no idea you were hurting. Like, he would just come in, like, the same time every lap with a smile on his face. Like, he like he, he played it off so well. <laughs> it was crazy. Yeah, I feel like, like Eric is, like, one of the nicest guys on the planet. Like, just super supportive and happy and just, like, a very good person. So, like, in my head, I'd be like, he would never tell a lie. Like, if he's in pain, he's going to tell me. But I guess he's, <laughs> he's able to hide his pain really well. <laughs> Yeah. And that is the cool thing about this. And especially Eric, like everybody was doing this, but I, I saw it more in Eric, but you know, I would say half the people dropped from missing a loop and then half the people dropped because they just didn't want to go further. Like they finished a loop and they're like, yeah, I'm not going to go anymore. And that is one thing I noticed that I thought was really cool about Eric is he'd be like, no, no, no. Just like, like people would get ready to cross their name off on the chalkboard. And he's like, Hey, put that chalk down let's go do another lap together. Like he is a very like supportive person um, at these kind of things. Yeah. I remember him specifically first with Liz, she was going to drop and like, she looked fine. Like she always looked super good the entire day or however long she was out there for. And yeah. she was going to drop and Eric's just like, no, do another lap. And then she ended up doing like three or four, if not five laps after that. So she definitely had the physical. I want to say she did way more than, I want to say she did like 10 laps. I felt like she was there. <laughs> okay, well, she did a lot of laps after like, and so she definitely had it in her. And Eric just kind of like, was like, hey, like, just come on. And, and she did it. And same thing with Wes, too. He was going to drop. And I think he only did a lap or two after that. But still, like, he had more in it than he thought. And the fact that Eric could pull that out of him, I think, was really cool. I think it kind of shows the cool part about ultra running. Yeah, you're competing, but you're still trying to see other people uh, succeed. Yeah, definitely. But, um, yeah, so, like, when did you – I know you were limiting your caffeine, but when did you start taking any caffeine? Um, I ended up taking caffeine the first night and then um, as the sun started going down into the second night. Yeah. Do you normally like, like what's your normal like caffeine intake for the day? And does that change when you're out racing? Uh, yeah. So my day to day, like I've been doing a lot more recently since I've been going to the gym because I take a pre-workout that has 150 milligrams of caffeine in it. Um I like before this, I used to only be doing about 35 milligrams a day in my BCAA supplement. Um, but yeah, I probably do 150 milligrams every other day. Like I have two different workout pre-workouts, one's caffeinated, one's non-caffeinated. And then like leading up to the race, I went without caffeine for about two weeks because um, I stopped taking my pre-workout. And then during the race, like I don't take any caffeine during the day and I save all of it for the nighttime, which is what I did for this one too. 
Yeah, it seems like it's a pretty effective strategy it's just to kind of like like tone it back a lot and then use it when it's really needed versus just like kind of being numb to it essentially. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of the same concept as low carb, right? We're low carb in our day to day. So when we do take in gels and stuff in our races, it kind of hits us harder. Yeah, let's talk about that for a second. It's a little off topic, but like, um, I've been thinking so much about that recently and just like all the things I've seen online. And maybe it's more so because of like it's the new year. But I, it's interesting, like how dogmatic all these like, dietitians can get. It's like, oh, like you can't do keto as an endurance athlete. And it's like, I, on one hand, I, I kind of agree with that, where like, 20 grams of carbs or zero carbs a day like that's great for a sedentary person but if you're being super active you can have carbohydrates and be totally fine i do think it's necessary if you want to actually perform like i don't think anyone's going to go in western yeah. states for example on zero carb ever i mean i know people will do it but i don't know anybody who's like competing for the podium that's doing it like I definitely think it's possible and I definitely know that there's people out there that's like zero carb or keto for all their races, but they just do it because it makes them like feel really healthy and good and they don't necessarily care to compete for the podium. So yeah, I think it's possible, but I definitely think it takes away an edge if you're limiting your carbs during a race. Yeah, I totally agree. And like, this is interesting how people get so stuck on things like, well, I'm carnivore, so I can't eat that or I'm whatever I can't eat that it's like well I think there's different foods for different situations and like just because you eat like a lower carb like everyday like life which I think is probably the appropriate human diet like zero to like low carb but if you're training a lot like you definitely need some sort of carbohydrate because like the, the the glycogen that your liver's producing is not going to be enough to like go and do a hard workout like marathon pace or something you might yeah mind. and that's that's kind of like that's the crazy thing I've noticed, like with, with certain dietitians, I know not all dietitians are like this, but like, cause like, I'll admit when I started eating this way, I was strict keto for like two years and I was probably afraid of carbohydrates. And so like, you know, back then it was like, I was getting like criticized, like, oh, you need carbs. This is ridiculous. Like keto's terrible. And then once I started adding carbs in, it's like, Oh, like, yeah, you're adding carbs in, but you're not doing Pop-Tarts. You're not doing Oreos. You're not doing this stuff. Like you, you can never satisfy some of these dietitians. Like it's just, it blows my mind. Like, yeah, yeah, you're having carbs, but it's, it's just fruit. It's just potatoes. You're afraid of processed food. So you have a disorder. Like, I just don't get it. You're never going to satisfy some of these people. Like that's the reality. <laughs> yeah. I think like no matter what, somebody's going to criticize what you're doing. Like, cause like same thing, it's like endurance things. Like in excess or in excess they're terrible for you if that's all you're doing is just like just running all day every day it's terrible for you like let's let's be real about it cycling all day is terrible for you like you need to have some sort of balance in your life like some lifting to build strength and bone density because like riding a bike is not building any bone density or anything it's like i think it's with <laughs> most things it's like when we go to the extremes like it's not the best for you maybe for certain people certain issues it can be but for the bulk of people just like the moderation in all things is probably the most important minus the hyper-processed junk this is straight up junk <laughs> yep but but yeah never mind <laughs> <laughs> yeah we can go on tangent but uh but i do think it's important though just to like just in general like for everyday life and i know you agree with me on this but like just eat as much like nutrient-dense foods as possible like a real food diet is exponentially better than anything that's going to come out of the laboratory any day like this is kind of how our bodies have evolved to be and that's what we're, we're made to be yeah. And I mean, you can fall for the, the, the trap with any diet, like the keto diet. There's all those keto friendly foods. that's probably not any better for you in reality than all the other. Oh yeah. I do think it's better for you than the other stuff, but it's not much better. So you can fall into that trap with any diet. Yeah. It's like what Browning says. And like we did a show with John from keto road the other day. And like, we talked about that. Like some of these foods can be used as like, as a tool, like maybe you drink diet Coke instead of a normal Coke, but you do that just to get off of the sugar. But then once you're not addicted mm. to that Coke anymore, you st or the sugar anyways, like you stop drinking that because it's not good for you. But it can be a tool mm. to like, same thing like a Quest bar, like they're total garbage. But if that's taking you away from eating donuts, like that's great. But then at a certain point, you got to stop eating yeah. the Quest bars because they're not good. They're just like, they're just junk food, essentially. It's, like, it's a keto junk food that's not really nutritionally. <laughs> they're like, maybe the macros are right, but it's not actually nutritionally good for you. Yeah, and I think that's where keto can be kind of hard because, like, you, you're you not filling, like, your sweet tooth, I guess you could say. And so you'll occasionally have those keto snacks, and 
like a lot of people in the keto world get so fixated on ketosis. And so they're like, oh, I can't have that cup of strawberries and blueberries because it might kick me out of ketosis. But this uh, keto granola bar over here has 25 grams of carbs and 24 grams of fiber. So one gram of net carbs. So yeah, I should be able to be in ketosis after this. Like for me, like the biggest change in a good way is when I stopped worrying about ketosis and just started worrying about what was going in my body. So, you know, I'm going to choose that bowl of fruit and raw honey every day over a processed keto snack, just because ketosis isn't important to me. It's like eating foods that make me feel healthy and help make me feel good. Yeah, exactly. I would 100% agree with that. Like we all get fixated on these things and I think it's easy to get stuck. And maybe it's just easier for our brains to like, to process that of like, once we set like these really strict like barriers of like, well, if I eat that, and that's bad. If you eat that, then that's good. But like in reality, it's like just eat real food, and that's probably the best thing for us. So I, I don't know. Yep. Yeah, and what again, if- I know we can go on tangents like this all the time, but it's like, you know, it's not like once you start eating this way and get used to it, it's like it's no longer a matter of I shouldn't eat this. It's like a matter of I don't care to eat that because I know I feel like absolute garbage for sometimes days. Like going back to that stupid uh. CGM experiment you and I did where we tried eating the standard American diet for a week and we lasted a day. Like, yeah, I legit was just like, I, I, I suffered from that day of eating for like five days. It was awful. Like I'm never doing that again. Oh yeah, dude. Like that was like one of the worst weeks of my life. Like I felt like absolute garbage. Like I was, I just felt so terrible. And like, I couldn't run. I couldn't do anything like appropriately. And like, people might say, well, your body didn't adjust to it. And yeah, maybe that's true. But like, why would I want to adjust to like a lower base level of like health? Like, why would I not want to optimize yeah. my health for the best of what I can? Like, it doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> anyways, tangent over. Let's um, just go to the end of like ATY then. How'd you feel towards the end? Because I think it, it was you and Maya left at the end, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I, um, I mean, for my, so uh, there's a quick backstory to this. Like, um, I've, like at the Arizona Trail, for example, when I strained my quad in my left leg, um, around mile 40 and across the years, I started getting some really tight hamstring in my, that, that, that was a terrible way to talk. Like, my <laughs> hamstring in my left leg started like getting really, really tight around mile 40. And like, I noticed the faster I would go, the better it would feel. And so like my strategy for the first 40 miles was to run walk. But once I hit mile 40, like I didn't walk anything until I, until I finished the race. Um, but like, I noticed that like, while I was running, like occasionally I'd get this like, kind of like sharp zinger up my whole left leg where it like, it would almost make me fall over. Like it was so intense. And then it would go away for a few laps and then it would come back. But like my hamstrings were really tight for most of the race. Um, and then I'd sit down for three to five minutes and then get up and go. And like the first minute or two was pretty rough because I was super, super tight. Um, so like, I mean, it's hard to say how much further I had in me to go. Like mentally, I was ready to go through the night again with Maya. Um, I was questioning whether my hamstring was going to be able to go through the night again because of how tight and uncomfortable it was. Um, so yeah, I mean, I mean, that's the best way to put it. Like I was mentally ready to go through the night again, but like, I was also realizing that any minute my hamstring might, you know, kind of do to me what my quad did to me on the Arizona trail. Yeah. That's like a hard place to be in mentally, like kind of just like thinking something may happen, even though it may or may not happen. It's kind of almost like psych yourself yeah. out. Yeah, there was a couple of times where I was like legit worried I did tear something or was going to tear something like the the pain and the type of pain in my hamstring was that bad. Um, but I was just like, if I did tear it, it's not that bad because I can still run like it's just super, super uncomfortable. But there was a few times where I was questioning if I was going to do some pretty good damage because of of how much pain it was in. Yeah, no, it makes a lot of sense. And it's like such a weird format that like you don't really know how your body's going to react in a situation like that. And like, personally, I haven't been that sore or tight. Like, I don't know if ever, like I felt so terrible after. And like, when I thought more about it, I think it's partly because like 
I'm just so used to going out for a run and like running for an hour, two hours, three hours or whatever, and not doing like this fast walking. And like when I was coming up with my strategy for the race, I was like, oh, maybe like I'll throw in these walk breaks because like I'll have the time and it'll save my legs a little bit. And then I, when I, now that I think about it more so, like seeing Eric do that, like he's really good at his like through hiking and walking, like walking fast. Like that kid can just walk. Same with like Jeff Garmeyer, for example. Like they're good at that and their muscles and like ligaments are built up for that. And like, I think it was like the day after, so I had slept like a full night. Like the only parts of my legs that I was fatigued a little bit from running 80 miles, but like the back of my knees, like the tendons were really tight and also like my shins were. And I think it's a hundred percent just simply from walking so much or wasn't used to walking fast and that much. And the flat probably. And the flat too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was feeling tightness in those tendons behind my knee too. <clears throat> I call it the knee pit because I can never pronounce what it's actually called. <laughs> I didn't even know it had a name. But, it makes sense, but I never yeah. thought about it. <laughs> no, there is a name for it, and I always forget it, so I just call it the knee pit. But yeah, I mean, from what I've studied, those tendons t- tend to get tight from your your tight hamstrings. So you must have had some tight hamstrings too if you were feeling it there. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense, but. Like, I don't know how your recovery went though, but like after the initial day, like I, like I was saying earlier, I walked around, I probably did like three laps filming the guy. Um, it was like last minute, like photo job thing. And so like, I felt like awful walking around, like it took forever to get around. But the next day I felt a lot better. And then I think I ran for the first time on like Thursday that week, just like for 30 minutes. And I actually felt pretty good. Like I had done a couple of days of biking and just like really light like mobility stuff. And then on Sunday I ran with a friend here in Phoenix and like, I felt 100%. Like, I felt really good. So, like, how did your recovery go after? Granted, you did a lot more mileage than I did. Yeah, I mean, so uh, I finished, it would have been Monday evening. And so uh, Wednesday, I was back in the gym lifting weights, at least with my upper body. But, like, um, this one actually took it out of me. Like, my left leg ballooned up, like, the biggest that's ever ballooned up before after a race. And I could barely walk, like. I couldn't bend my leg at all. And and this stayed with me for the majority of that week. So I ended up going to a physical therapist in Phoenix um, on Friday, I think, to have her look at me to see what was going on. And I mean, so basically, so this is kind of the backstory. I said there was a backstory to like my hamstring tightening up 40 miles into the race. But um, I met with her and what she found out was that my right hip is shifted forward slightly and she said that that's making me engage essentially 100% of my hamstring and my quad and my left leg and that my left glute is like essentially just on vacation <laughs> right now and so like you know she was telling me that that's probably why I strained my quad on the Arizona trail that's why my hamstring did what it did across the years um, she thinks it's from, because I've never had this issue before. She thinks it's from me spraining my ankle last fall. Um, I don't know if you remember, I sprained my ankle about three weeks before my Arizona attempt last year, and it was a pretty bad sprain, but then I just ended up going in to do it. And you remember I had shin issues. I had so many issues last year that was probably from that sprained ankle and compensating. And so she thinks that I've just done so much compensating after that spraining my ankle that that's kind of what happened with my my hip because it was my right ankle that I sprained and it's my right hip that shifted um so anyway this is just a long story to say that like my recovery has been a little bit slower from the running side I've been hitting the gym every day I feel energized I feel great but I just started running yesterday and like now that like this physical therapist pointed that out to me like I can tell that my glute is just like absolutely worthless and like like I was running uphill today and like my quad was just on fire I'm like why is my quad working so hard running uphill like so yeah so basically I'm teaching myself to relearn right now like I'm trying or sorry I'm basically trying to relearn how to run right now um so it's the recovery is just a little bit weird right now for me (laughs) you know that makes a lot of sense like considering everything I I think it's even like, it's awesome that you even were able to start after what happened on the Arizona Trail last year and, like, how bad that was. And the fact that you did so well at ATY is, like, I don't know, pretty cool. Yeah, I'm glad it worked out. But, like, you know, with what I have coming up this year with my racing, I got to get this glute thing figured out before because 
you know, I'm going to strain a bunch of different muscles if I can't figure it out. Definitely. So you can do more PT on that then? Is that the game plan? Yeah. Like, you know, at the gym too, I'm backing off on weight, at least on like lower body day. And I'm just like really trying to, cause like when I saw that PT, I did glute bridges in front of her and I did squats and she was like, yep, you're a hundred percent quad on all of this. Like your glutes aren't doing anything. So basically like I'm going back to body weight on lower leg day or sorry, leg day. And just like, you know, like yesterday, for example, I did squats and stuff and like, you know, I'd say like I did 50% with my quad and 50% with my glute. So it's just a matter of like working on my form again and shifting a little bit to the left and then trying to engage my glutes more and just like reteaching myself basically. Yeah, that makes sense. I guess like as we kind of wrap up here nutritionally, what did you do after the race? Did you go kind of like standard zero carb or just kind of back to your normal diet again or what did you do? <laughs> Oh, um, don't, don't tell this, me you got Panda Express my, or something. <laughs> this is probably why my leg ballooned up so bad for three days. Um, but before the race, like, so me and Sarah, my wife, stayed with a friend. Um, her name's Brittany, and um, she's just raving about the the Mexican food in her in, in Arizona. <laughs> and so, like, the day before the race, I was like, "Tell you what, if I win this race, I will go get Mexican with you guys." And so uh, the day after the race is over, we went to some like gas station Mexican restaurant <laughs> and I got like, uh, I got enchiladas, I got chips and salsa, chips and guac. And I'm the kind of person where I'm just like, I'm not going to do this again. So I might as well kind of enjoy it while I'm doing it. So after that, we went and got shakes. Like <laughs> it was not ideal. Um, so that the first 24 hours after was definitely not um, ideal, um, and my body paid the price for it. Um, but yeah, after that, I went back to like essentially um, like zero carb, a bunch of meat, a bunch of eggs. Um, I did fast the next day too to try to flush out that junk from my body. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, I think that kind of like I don't know uh, validates the point of like recovery is it, it's super important, and like what you eat plays a huge role in your recovery. And it's not just like, oh, like go for a active recovery day or something. It's like the nutritional aspect and the moving, they all play like they go hand in hand. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, like I said, I've never had my leg balloon up like that before. And again, a lot of it could be from the hamstring, that issue. But um, for as long as it stayed puffy, like it's it was definitely from the food <laughs> that, that I had. <laughs> yeah, I yeah, it's definitely that. <laughs> <laughs> but um that's cool man it's good to catch up talk about all this stuff like i don't know like i i know we had different experiences at ATY, but i'm definitely looking forward to going back and i know a few other people are as well so i know you have a huge you going back schedule. next year oh heck yeah dude i can't wait to sign up yeah or this year yeah nice like yeah my uh my schedule's kind of broken up this year as far as what i'm doing and i'm focusing on biking for the spring and then it's going to be basically just training for that specifically because I, I just feel so defeated by it. Like on one hand, I'm like, it was very monotonous and whatever, but I also don't like feeling like a race beat me when it's something that I can do better at. And like, even if I couldn't win it, maybe there are things I can just improve upon because going 80 miles to me wasn't, it wasn't even close to like what I wanted to do. Well, my biggest advice going off of our conversation out there is like, don't, make that your first uh, double digit run in like two months or whatever it is that you told me. <laughs> yeah. Like I had done I did a 16 mile track run to replicate ATY like in November or something. And then I did a 10 miler in December, but it was just like a lot of hour long runs, like just mellow runs and a lot of biking. And that definitely was not, not a good strategy, but I enjoyed it though until the race. Yeah. Yeah. Probably tweak that just a little bit. <laughs> Like I, I'm kind of kicking myself about it because I always say like, oh, specificity is key, and I 100% believe that. But I also <laughs> think that I, um, I think I went in a little arrogant, maybe a little cocky to that racing. Like, oh, it's easy pace. Like, I'll be able to run that pace all day, no matter what. And so, like, what is it? What's the yeah. saying? Like, pride cometh before the fall. So that definitely happened. Yeah, I'll, I'll admit it. Like, I, I made a mistake. I was arrogant, and I needed to learn from that. So it was a good slap in the face for sure. At least you recognize it. And though I'm not gonna. <laughs> race with you um i am 
I, I think I was telling you this, like when I was just like, why did I sign up for this dude? Why can't I just go on a two week vacation to Arizona <laughs> and have some fun? And like, why did I have to sign up for this race? So I am planning on vacationing there next year again, but um, I, I don't know if I'll join you, but I'll come watch you. <laughs> All right, well, deal. Just go to the Maricopa Trail after or something. What's that? It's like a 300-mile loop around Phoenix. <laughs> oh, gosh. After this season, no. I, I need a break after what I'm doing this year. <laughs> yeah, I shouldn't uh, I shouldn't instigate things. I support you in taking a break because it's definitely going to be needed. Because you're doing, what, Cocodona and then all the all of Candace's races? And then that new one in Canada, too. <laughs> oh, that's right. Was it Trans-Selkirk or something? What's that no, called? that's Jacob Pusey's uh, stage race. This one's uh, the Divide 200. Oh, that's right. Yeah. It looks beautiful, though. Yeah, it looks awesome. Oh, yeah. From what I saw this last year, it looked pretty awesome. Cool, man. Well, I guess on that note, let's, um, let's wrap it up. I guess um, enjoy the winter. Go do some cross-training, snoveling some show, shoveling some snow. <laughs> e- yep. That's what I'm going to go do right now in the cold dark. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> yeah, no problem. Anytime. <laughs>